The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everybody? Welcome into, this is episode two of season four of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to thank Elijah Steele for sending in that intro beat, and he also sent in a little explanation video, so we're going to drop that in now. Drum Candy Podcast, my name's Elijah Steele. Uh, I'm a sophomore from Utah, and that was my friend and I, Adam. Uh, we got a little funk duo. We just threw structure together today, put my phone on the ground, and recorded it real quick. Um, for drums, that's a Yamaha Stage Custom Maple, 20-inch kick, 10, 12, 14 toms with the 14 matching snare. Uh, got an EMAD on the kick, uh, pinstripes on the toms, and an Evans Denera HD Dry on the snare. Uh, cymbals, hi-hats are 14-inch custom A's, um, and the crash is a 16-inch custom A as well. Uh, it's just our school kit. Uh, for recording, it was just my Android phone and uh, a little bit of mixing, so yep. Awesome. Thanks, Elijah. Thanks for being patient. I know I hadn't, I told you a while ago I was going to get this into the show and the format kind of changed a bit, but I do want to feature everyone, anyone's um, listener beat. So shoot your video or audio or both to uh, drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. You can send a link to Dropbox or if it'll attach, if it's not too big, you can send it there directly. Um, I want to feature you all in a future episode. So again, shoot your intro beats to drumkennypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Elijah Steele, for this week's beat. All right, let's get to the meat of this episode. And this week, I'm going to go through my entire process of changing drum heads on a snare drum and how I tune it up, how I set the wires. And then we're going to go through a few different tunings based on some celebrity tunings that I found on the TuneBot website. So let's get to how to tune a snare drum. All right, in this week's episode, I want to walk you through my process for tuning a snare drum, changing heads, getting it back to um, recording or gig-ready situation. Um, because I get asked this often on Instagram or via email, like, how do you tune a drum? A lot of my lessons are based on getting drum sounds. I've spent years experimenting and researching and picking people's brains. Um, so I have my own kind of philosophy that's working for me now that um, obviously it's not rocket science and nothing, none of this is revolutionary, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to just walk you through. I have this really beautiful Craviato um, 6 by 14 Heritage Series drum here that um, I made a mistake on a gig, hastily yanked some duct tape off of it and it pulled like a bunch of the coating off. So I've got to swap it out, and it still has the original bottom head on it as well. So this this drum is due for an overhaul. So we're going to walk through the whole process. I'm going to take the heads off, do a little maintenance, make sure everything is cool, put some new heads on, tune it up, and then work through a bunch of different tuning options. So let's get to it. First thing I'm going to do um, is take off the heads. So one of the best accessories a drummer can have is a good quality battery-powered drill and one of these Evans drill bit drum key things. I'll turn my drill to the lowest setting so it's at one so it's not going to overpower and strip anything if you accidentally go the wrong way um, but this is the, the fastest way to get heads off so I'm going to do that now um, so let's take the batter head off. Okay, that's all the fast, all the longer it took to get these tension rods off, set those aside. This drum is still relatively new, 
so inspecting all the tension rods, they, they're clean. There's no gunk or anything, but I do um, sometimes have to wipe these down if they've got some buildup, but these are pretty much brand new. I don't think I'm gonna need to do any kind of uh, maintenance to the lugs or any of that. Um, okay, some anatomy of a drum stuff. This is called a, a rim. Other names for it is a counter hoop. This is a triple flanged 2.3 millimeter steel triple flange hoop or counter hoop or rim. Um, it's not the flesh hoop. The flesh hoop is this part of the drum head, the, the ring that the drum head connects to. That's the flesh hoop. Um, all right, so inspecting this head, aside from the obvious damage caused by the duct tape, don't use duct tape, kids. Use gaffer's tape if you need to use tape at all. But it's also slightly pitted in the middle. This drum wasn't sounding great, um, and it was having to be tuned tighter than I would always like, which usually means to me that the center of the head is probably overstretched, and that is the case. It's got a little tiny little bit of a divot, so it's a good thing. Let's get rid of this. So that's just trash. We will put that down there. So next thing I do is inspect the drum itself, make sure everything is cool, just kind of wipe it off with my hands, see if there's anything stuck on the bearing edge. I mean, these are amazing shells. There's not much to be concerned with. Bearing edge is super clean. I will just take a microfiber cloth and just, just wipe it down because there's probably a little bit of drumstick dust and all that kind of stuff. And that's as simple as that. I will, once I get the bottom head off, I will go around and make sure all of the lug screws have enough tension on them. The worst thing you can do is change the heads, get it tuned up, it sounds great. And then an hour later, one of your lugs pops off because the screw had loosened up over time. So every time I change the batter head, um, I will go around, just make sure that all the, all the screws on the inside are, are nice and tight. So before we do that, I'm gonna pull these wires off and pull this bottom head off. Um, luckily, we're using a trick throw off that has drum key operated um, brackets on the throw off, which makes it super easy. So let's remove the bottom. Let's get the wires off first and then take the bottom head off. All right, Craviato sent this with some really nice wires with their logo on the end plates and they use string for the connection. I am gonna keep this and use these again. The wires seem okay. Um, I only change snare wires if there's a visible overstretching or something got bent out of shape, but I think these are okay. We'll put them back on with a fresh head and we'll kind of assess how they're sitting, but I don't wanna just throw away these branded Craviato wires just yet. The string looks okay. It's not tearing or anything. So we'll just set those aside and get this bottom head taken off. Okay, bottom head is off. Just looking at the hoop, oh, making sure there's no dents or it's not super bent out of shape or nothing. Um, this drum hasn't seen a ton of high intensity use. So they're basically brand new aside from some fingerprints. So the hoops are cool. Um, Inspect the bearing edge again. This this side has more dust that's on the bottom that makes more sense. So I will give it a wipe down uh, with the microfiber cloth just to pull all that dust off. Everything else is fine. Snare beds are nice, beautiful shell. Not much to be concerned about. So now it's time to take the screwdriver and just go around and make sure all of these interior screws are nice and tight. So let's do that. I'm gonna be using um, the drill again, this time with the screwdriver bit. So pull out the Evans key, put in the regular screwdriver. I am still keeping it on one because I don't wanna go too crazy with this, but I'm just gonna go around and make sure that they're all nice and snug. And 
And that is that. They each one had a tiny little bit of give to them, which means most likely these were installed by hand. And the drill just gives like a little, a little bit of extra muscle, but it didn't go crazy. And so now all these suckers should be well secured. No issue with any of the lugs. Everything feels fine. This is a pretty, pretty mild maintenance job um, in all actuality. I'm not huge on cleaning drums, but you know, maybe wipe off some fingerprints occasionally. But this shell has been well taken care of. It hasn't left my studio much. So I'm not super worried about cleaning it or, or lubing up anything. Looks good. Um, so now let's put the bottom head on. And I am using, um, let's get this hoop out of the way here. I am using uh, for the bottom head, it's a Drum Factory Direct um, snare side head one of our in-house heads. It's these, you know, standard snare side thickness. Um, yeah, crystal clear, mylar. And so yeah, these are our house brand, no logo. So if you want to put a, your own stamp on them, you can. Um, I think, I, you know, I, I off, I mean, generally, I use Evans drum heads, but if you want to save a few bucks, these are a good way to do it. You can get a bunch of these for relatively cheap. So then I just, um, let me change the angle here, put the head on and usually just kind of spin it around and make sure there's no snags, there's no issues. Didn't, wouldn't expect her to be with these shells, but you know, it's just a good course of habit. And then, you know, there's always a seam in these counter hoops, not counter hoops, in these flesh hoops, there's aluminum, there's a seam in the aluminum where they, where they join up. So that would be the weakest spot on this head. So strategically, um, you know, I put it like maybe under, you know, opposite of where the wires are perpendicular maybe where the badge is or the opposite side of the badge is probably the best spot for it to be the most hidden. Not that you'll see it, but you know, just get it out of the way. So that's on the opposite side of the badge. And then we just put the hoop back on. This is the counter hoop. That's the batter side. We need the one with the gates in it for the wires. That's this one. Again, just putting it back together. Um, now, when I put um, reseat ahead, I do use the drill, which I know a lot of folks will probably cringe at, but I only use the drill to get the tension rods flush with the hoop. I don't necessarily use the drill to apply tension to the head. On, I mean, I do, but I wouldn't advise it. So what I do is I, I get these things just making sure that they're threaded properly. Nothing's being cross-threaded. So all the lugs are, are operating smoothly. Here's one that's a little, little funky. So take it out, reassess. There we go. That one was potentially going to cross-thread, but everything else is smooth. No snags. So then I just use the drill slowly just to bring the, the tension rods down to where they are at finger tight. I just kind of go around. I don't, I go around every other lug to start because I'm not actually putting any tension on the drum itself. I'm just getting the tension rods down the finger tight. So as long as you're careful and don't put a ton of tension on it, it's not going to affect anything tuning-wise. It's just saving a little bit of time to get these things down the finger tight. All right, so now they're all finger tight pretty much. 
and I will just go around, show the left side here, opposite ends and just finger tighten as much as I can. Just pinching, I'm literally just pinching the side of the tension rod and spinning with two fingers just to get them as tight as they can go with, my, with fingers. And then just grab two drum keys. Where did my other one go? There it is. Two drum keys, opposite sides, and I do a half turn, go on to the next one, half turn, on to the next one, half turn, next one. So we've gone a half turn all the way around. I'll do the exact same thing, repeat it, another half turn. And I do mean an actual half of a complete rotation of the drum key, not, not a quarter turn, an actual half turn. That's two. Now I go into quarters. Now that I'm adding a little bit more tension, I want to be a little bit more even and gradual. I'll do quarter turns. Another quarter turn. So that would be one and a half full rotations at this point. Um, and I'm starting to feel under the under the drum key a good amount of, of, of tension. So I'll do another quarter turn. Another quarter turn. Now I'm starting to feel like it might be getting kind of maxed out at the moment. A good, good spot to stop and check. So just some basic theory on the bottom side. Um, in general, I like the bottom head to be very tight. Not so tight that you get zero tone out of the, of the head, but very tight to allow the wires to react to their maximum capacity. Really the only time I deviate from that is on some really old drums or drums that aren't really perfectly flat. Um, I might detune the bottom head just to get the wires to sit a little bit better or if they don't have good snare beds, I might detune around the side of the snare beds. So the snare beds are right now currently looking at me. Snare beds are what's right under the throw off on either side. So. Sometimes I'll detune, I'll keep these four looser just to give a little bit more cushion for the wires. But in general, very high, not as high as it can go, but close is gives me the, the, the response that I dig. Now, I am a big proponent of the TuneBot, not as a crutch, but as a tool just so I know for consistency. I know what I like, so I can get a starting point every time with this. And I like the bottom head to hit F sharp. And right now, so fourth octave F sharp is my preference. Right now it's fourth octave D sharp. So I've got to take this bottom head up um, a minor third to get to where I typically like it. So now I'll just do one, one rod, quarter turn, just go around in a circle. As long as you're gradual with your tuning and consistent, you know, going cross or in a circle, doesn't really matter. It's when you do something extreme on one side versus the other that it gets out of whack. So now it's at an F, so probably another quarter turn around. It's almost like a in between an eighth and a quarter, whatever that would be. There's the F sharp, a little bit flat. So I think they still need to go up a little tiny bit further. So now when I, when I check the tuning, I do mute it a little bit lightly with one finger. 
tones. We're tuning the overtones. Those are Fs. That's an F sharp. So we're still a little bit under. F. F. Now we're just getting in the ballpark here. Now I might be, this one's too high. So I'm, I've overshot on part of the drum. Not surprising, it's by the snare beds that it's coming in a little bit low. I don't get super crazy about making this perfectly in tune on the bottom because the bottom head of a snare drum doesn't really play too much of a role in the overall sound of like the, the, the cleanness of the tuning. It just needs to be even, you know, at an even tension to allow the wires to do what they need to do. So I think we're basically there. So that's my starting point for the bottom of every snare drum, F sharp, fourth octave. It's very high, but there's still some tone. It's not choked. So we got that happening. Next thing I do is put the wires back on. My least favorite part of changing heads on snare drums is dealing with the wires. So we got these strings. I will kind of make sure they're pretty close. The ends are aligned. And then, so what I do is I set the butt end first. I go away from the throttles over here. So I set the butt end first. So I feel like if that is perfectly centered, then you can adjust the, the batter side, I mean the, uh, the throw-off side a lot easier. But if this side is off, the whole thing is going to be pulled askew. All right, so I set the wires right up to the bearing edge, not all the way over to the hoop, not, not covering the bearing edge just right to where the drum head makes contact with the snare beds. And with this Craviato shell, these snare beds are, are pretty wide and the, thick, the, the, the shell itself is pretty thick. So there's a bit of, it's a pretty wide snare bed and bearing edge to deal with. So it might be an eighth of an inch away from the outside edge of the, the hoop. So I just hold the wires down and then this is where you got to constantly adjust. So I bring the the butt plate tension on it just enough where it kind of holds the, the strings in place. Then I pull them snug while I'm holding this end clip in place. And then start adding. I'm pulling both sides of the string down evenly. It's pretty much as hard as I can to get as much tension on them as possible. And then I just tighten down that butt plate. Inevitably, the wires had to be readjusted after a while, after a, a little bit of play, because the string's gonna stretch a little bit. So get those on. The butt plate is nice and tight. All right, then I do the same thing with the batter side. I might have overshot the, um, the position of the end clip on that side, which I think is okay because it, it'll probably pull out this way a bit once we get the throw-off engaged. So I set the throw-off in the up position. First of all, I'm going to make sure that it's somewhere in the middle of where the throw-off can go. That way you've got room up and down to change the tension on the wires. All right, and then I set the wires engaged. So I'll go back down this way. So the wires are engaged. 
I'll just turn it this way so you can see what I'm doing. A little bit. So the wires are engaged, but with these trick throw-offs, you have to push the you have to push the adjustment knob down, otherwise it'll release a bit and then you'll have too much play. But first I've got to weave. I've got to get these string to go through this mount here. So I usually just take off one side of it just to save myself the hassle. And then I can just swing it away, bring in the strings, and then reattach it. All right, same thing then. I have to put a little bit of, use one finger on the bottom of the, you know, on the tension rod to push it up. And then I'm pinching with two fingers and I'm pulling as much as I can. And then I start adding tension to the screws. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. So I think I overshot it on the butt end side, so they're not, they're not perfectly centered. I might have to make an adjustment, but I'm not going to sweat it just yet. Get this on nice and tight. All right. So now the wires should be ready to go. Yep, so now it's, it's preset in a pretty tight position. So I've got leeway by loosening and I have room on the other side as well. This is also a three position throw off. So I set it in the tight position. So I've got the wires kind of set, you can see I went a little bit too far on the butt end, which gave me a little bit too much space here, but it might sound fine, so I'm not going to screw with it yet. So now it's time to, the easy part, put the battery head on. Um, I'm using an Evans G1 coated. It's my favorite general use snare drum battery head. Any single ply coated is a good choice for getting, you know, the most out of your drum, like the maximum potential tone, sensitivity, all that stuff. If you play super hard, you're going to blow through these. You might need to go to a two ply head or a pre muffled head or something, reinforced dot. But you can't beat the sound of a single ply coated head, in my opinion. So, same thing, making sure that. Everything is cool, spinning, no issues with snags. This thing is completely free spinning. So in that case, I just set the logo. For me, it's above the badge. The badge is on, you know, right now you can't see that Tom in the way, but the badge is away from me. Throw-off is on the left, which means the logo should be right in front of me in between two lugs. If the head would, if the shell was out of round slightly and it didn't, and the drum head didn't spin freely, I would just have to find the spot where the head is the most free and then deal with the fact that the logo is askew. It's more important for the drum to sound good and look good in my opinion. So now I'm just doing the same thing. Just making sure the tension rods Go into the receivers, the swivel nuts evenly, no cross threading. Everything is feeling nice and smooth as expected. 
with such a high quality drum. Um, yeah. So I'll do the same thing with the drill, just getting the tension rods to meet the counter hoop here. Not actually applying any tension to the head with the drill. Just doing some of the labor, the prep work. All right. A couple more to go. Such a time saver. You don't have a battery powered drill with a, a drum key bit. Um, get one. Get the Evans one or someone else makes one. All right, so that's it for the drill. Finger tight all the way around. Everything is good. Most amount of tension I can get with just my hands. So now we go back to two drum keys, opposite sides, half turn, go to the next one, half turn, Half turn, half turn, do it again. Now I'm starting to feel there's a fair amount of tension on this already. So I might not need to go much higher than this. Typically go one and a quarter. So we'll do another quarter. For initial tuning, I always tune a snare drum higher than I might eventually use it just to make sure that everything is seating nice and balanced. Um, let's see what it sounds like. really not bad. I did zero fine tuning at this point. It just evenly tuned up, tensioned up, however you want to just define it. Now, I like the batter head as a starting point, general use um, C sharp. So it's a C sharp over F sharp. I think we've got to go up a touch, but let's see. Actually, it looks like it's high. Yeah, I think I would have been cool not doing that extra quarter turn. So I'm gonna remove that tension. There we go, there's our C sharp. on. One of the biggest advantages of a high quality drum is not that it necessarily will automatically sound better than anything else. It's usually that it's just easier to tune and it's easier to get to where you want it to be. So now I have my typical starting point, which is I would say is like a medium, medium high batter and a very high bottom. So C sharp over F sharp. See how it sounds. Let me turn on, I was missing my um, EAD-10 was not in there. So all you were hearing in that first couple hits was an overhead mic and a bass drum mic. Now the EAD-10 is in there. Sounds pretty darn good to me. 
Um, okay, now let's talk about snare wire tension. Depends on style, dynamic level, application, um, but a good, if you play anything where you're acoustic instrument, you know, maybe lower volumes, you're gonna have to deal with sympathetic buzz most often from the rack tom. So one way to, to deal with that is actually hit your rack tom, tension up the wires until that sympathetic buzz shortens, you know, as much as it, you think it can. And once you go past that, you'll hear it kind of gets funky again. So I'm gonna take the wires way down. You're gonna hear a bunch of buzz and I'm gonna keep bringing the wires up until that buzz kind of becomes minimized. Hopefully you could hear that right away. It got tighter, it got tighter, and it almost just disappeared. Those are pretty tight wires. Um, you can hear that it's 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 super low volumes. It is kind of choking out a bit. But it also has like a dense sound, like kind of pre-compressed. There's like a fatness to it that um that I like and and compromising with the buzz is really helpful when you're playing maybe lower volume stuff and where you're just getting a ton of buzz. So it's not, like if I was gonna find the ideal spot for these wires, it would be a little bit lower. Let me find that. It was literally two notches on the trick throw off below where I had it. It, I'm not getting that choke sound at low volume. And the sympathetic buzz isn't terrible, but it's a little bit more prominent. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna hit the drum twice, up a notch, twice, up a notch, and you'll hear the buzz kind of goes away. minor minor difference but it does make a difference and the drum still sounds good unless you're trying to play super super quiet um, you might need to back off the wires a couple of notches but that's my general point per um, general snare drum tuning for most acoustic applications so let's take a listen again Now, a cool thing with this trick throw-off is if that's too choked, you've got two other levels. So let's try the first level, the most loose. Now the second notch. back to full tension.
All right, so that is my starting point tuning and setup for every snare drum. From there, um, if I need to go crisper, I can take every, tune it up a notch. I might go up to an E on or a D sharp on the batter side. Just you know, bring it in, make it even even crisper and more focused. Especially for some gigs in smaller rooms, you want the snare to kind of be controlled. That's a good way to do it, like a one notch up from that. Or if I need to be a little bit fatter, I'll go eighth or a quarter turn down, and a lot of body will start to pop out of it. But this is my starting point, and it works, you know, in most situations. It's also a good way to kind of get a feel for what your drum can do, um, and then you can adjust to taste. As far as muffling, um, I often stick <laughs> gels to the side of the shell just so I have them handy. So this is like a quarter-sized drum dot. I'm going to just put it um, right where the throw-off is because that's an area that I won't actually play the drum. So I put it's over here where the throw-off is and, you know, eighth of an inch away from the edge. See what that does for us. Just that amount of, you know, it's a quarter size drum dot, um, is a lot of dampening, really. So you might, if you have a jar of moon gel, you can cut them in half or even a quarter and use a smaller piece. So I've got like a, like a, this is a half of a moon gel. Let's see if that is a less heavy handed, dampened sound. I'm just trying to get rid of a little bit of the length of the note. I'm not trying to get rid of overtones, I just want to shorten how long it rings out. So let's hear what this sounds like. Yeah, that's all the more that I'm feeling that this drum needs as a starting point half a moon gel. It kind of just brings it, rains everything in a little bit um, without kind of killing the vibe of the drum. So that's the basic tuning. Now what I was thinking about doing in the time left here is um, testing some of these celebrity TuneBot settings. So if you go to TuneBot's website, they have some of their, their artist tunings and they're, they're pretty drastically different. Um, I'm going to go through a few and see how many we get. We've got Dennis Chambers, Mark Schulman, Rich Redman, John Riley, R.J. Hale, Morgan Rose, Nate Morton, Yost Nickel, and Matt Greiner are the few that I grabbed. So let's start with Dennis Chambers. Dennis Chambers' batter side frequency is 340 hertz. Let's see where that is compared to where we are right now. That's going to be a ton higher. We're at 268. Yeah, so I've got to really crank it. So let's do that. I'm not going to mess with the bottom head, even though they each have slightly different bottom head tunings at the moment. I just want to see what getting the batter head to where they prefer it. So that was like a about a half turn on each 311. So we got to keep going. No, that was about a quarter turn. So now we've gone half a turn above where we left off here. And it's feeling like a lot of tension. So I don't know that this drum is gonna be a good drum for a Dennis Chambers sound. 375. No, sorry, 330. 335. Goodness, let's go one tiny little touch higher.
It's like 338. That's, I think, any more tension on this drum and we're risking blowing these lugs apart. So this is just with the batter head tuning matching where Dennis Chambers has his. It's up there. I think this being an eight lug drum and with under that much tension, it's kind of crying for mercy, but you can hear it's a very different sound and Dennis Chambers, I think of having a very kind of cracky snare drum sound. Um, for me, that's just, that's extremely tight for this drum. Let's try the opposite end of the spectrum here. Mark Shulman, 239, which I think was close to where I was before. So Mark Shulman's batter head is got to go down close to 100 hertz. That's a lot. So I want to go, I use two keys for this. D2 and a half. Yeah, this drum is crying for mercy with that much tension on it. So that, oh, and there goes the drum key. Do I have another one in here? Always dropping drum keys. Yeah, I do. Okay, so what do we got? That's still, I gotta go another half turn to get close to where Mark Schulman, I saw Mark Schulman play with Pink years ago. Incredible, incredible player, super cool guy. And got a really nice sound, so I'm curious where this is now. We're at 225, so we went a little bit too far. I'll go like a eighth, or a, not even quite an eighth, all the way around. 235, so just the tiniest little bit more. Yeah, we're basically there. So this would be without adjusting the bottom head. That went too far again. Should have left it where it was. This would be Mark Schulman, kind of more of a rock sound. Should be a bit fatter. Okay, 238, that's one hertz off. Let's try it. So one thing that happens often is when I get into these slightly lower tunings, the wires I think need to be backed off as well to allow the shell to kind of resonate more. So I just took it back to the first position. Sounds pretty cool. Maybe you could get it with no, um, no muffling. Take the moon gel off, see what that does. Yeah, the moon gel is just, I mean, I like it open. The moon gel is just kind of bringing it into focus a little bit. Just depends on what you dig. Okay, that's two tunings. Let's go with um, Rich Redman is a bit higher. Let's try to find something surprisingly different. Um, 
John Riley, famous jazz drummer and educator um, of the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra. He goes even lower. So his batter head is at 220. So we'll take it down and see what we get. Like a quarter turn all the way around. Kind of surprised. Oh, went way too far. Go like an eighth turn up. Kind of surprised that he would um, tune his snare this low. 220 on the dot. Let's see what this sounds like. gel off. Now, that's a cool sound. I think, um, think about John Riley's gig with the Vanguard band. He is, I mean, that seat was, was founded and owned by the great Mel Lewis, who generally tuned significantly lower than probably most of uh, modern jazz drummers. So I assume this sound is probably his big band, uh, Mel Lewis style. Pretty fat, pretty cool. Let's see if there's any other drastic difference. Um, RJ Hale is up in the 260 range. It's a little bit higher than Mark Shulman. Morgan Rose is up there, 291. Not quite Dennis Chambers. Um, Nate Morton, I always love his sound, so let's try that. 280 um, Batterhead. Taking it back up. Two sixty-seven. Uh, should be getting close now. Pretty wide variety of tunings. Two eighty-four. Went a little too far. Go a tiny turn down. Nate Morton. Um, seen him on a ton of TV stuff. The voice. I think it's the voice. Incredibly versatile drummer. Very powerful too. There we go, it's 279, close enough. So this is the Nate Morton tuning. Dig it, that might be my favorite of these artist ones I've tried so far. Um, there's a few more I wanted to do, but you know, we're running on time. Low on time this week, so I'm gonna leave it there. I wanna see what actual note that is. Ah, it's almost, it's almost a C sharp. It's a slightly flat C sharp, which is where I tend to tune drums for general use. Yeah, it's just a little bit flat of, a, of the C-sharp that we started. So that was my favorite sound. Maybe you'd like the higher sound of Dennis Chambers or the fatter sound of Mark Shulman. But for me, this is the great 
versatile tuning that works on almost any genre, any style, which makes sense for Nate Morton because he's having to play all styles of music on these TV shows. So that's it for snare drum tuning. Um, try that. Get yourself a TuneBot or a chromatic tuner, whatever. Try C sharp, which I'm tuning by the tension rods, not the fundamental note. So dampen the bottom head and tap it by the tension rods. C sharp, a fourth higher on the bottom at F sharp. And I bet it'll work for you. Okay, that's it. That is how to tune a snare drum. All right, I know that was pretty deep and pretty nerdy. Hopefully you got something out of it. Hopefully um, you're like me and I can I find it kind of therapeutic to tune drums and watch people tune drums. And maybe you learn something. What I learned is definitely my favorite tuning is C sharp over F sharp. Even when I went away from it and came back, that was where I like the starting point for a snare drum to be. So give that a shot. Um, oh, we do have some shop talks that I visited over at Hawthorne a while back. So let's get to this one. This week's shop talk, uh, we are checking out a Ludwig Black Panther drum set. Okay, we're back in Ludwig world, and why is this called a Black Panther is my first question. Well, number one, it's black. Yes, obvious. I don't know why they called it Panther. Um, it's a different kind of wrap. It's yeah. It's like a faux leather looking thing. What yeah, so this was offered, I don't know exactly what years in the 70s, but um, it's not an uncommon finish, not super common, but it's definitely different in the fact that like it has... If you feel like a, another Ludwig wrap, it, it's smooth, but this has some like... Yeah, it's almost like furniture. Yeah, um, and I think Ludwig, no, per, Pearl did like, it was called a leatherette. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who, and it's like kind of like a leather type, and this kind of like feels almost like a fake leather. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm gonna guess that Ludwig did it first and then Pearl copied them, but I don't know. But. I think they started doing this probably because people started to get more interested in like the less kind of flashy, weird. Yeah, it's like a flat black. Yeah, and it's it's, it's cool. It like almost like if you are a few feet away, it looks like a matte finish. Mm -hmm. um, which I don't think that Ludwig really did much in matte, if anything. I wonder if they but, just got like a source some some of this material, like someone redid some cabinets. I'm like, why don't we put those on? Well, the thing that's kind of cool is I've seen kits that have rewrapped, and they are rewrapped in Black Panther. It's like clearly not the wrap that they use in the but in the factory, but it looks close. Mm. Um, and every time I get one of these kits in, someone says, "Did you look under the wrap?" Oh, we mentioned that before because they would put these over what the Sykes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, like a mod. So like, mod. it was probably the leftover shells that didn't get used or ordered, because those drums really weren't that popular back in the day. Which is funny to think, which is not surprising, because I bought a 68 Black Diamond Pearl kit mm -hmm. that the guy had spray painted black in the 80s. Yeah. It was just, for some reason, everyone had to do it. Joseph from Nelson recently had a champagne kit, and it was like completely spray painted black and mm -hmm. he just like spent forever like wet sanding it down and just like that's what people did instead of like you don't have a lot of money what are you gonna do this looks this looks this look girly or whatever like it wasn't cool <laughs> so you just painted it black or you put contact wrap over it so that's literally what ludwig did and i've seen like examples of uh, there was like a, a jazz festival and it had citrus mod under it and it was like pristine because you figure it's been under there for how many years it can't age right yeah you know so that's kind of one interesting thing about this wrap is like the first thing i'll do is and i'm never it'll never happen but wonder what's under you there you never know yeah yeah could be a citrus mod where do you be, look do you like pull the bracket off or something no you just take it off and you could see because at this point they weren't putting the wrap into the scarf joint it was just literally wrapped around so if you, um. you can see you'd be able to see like an extra layer of wrap under there mm-hmm so, so what's under these? Do you know? Wood. Wood. <laughs> yeah. So this is a this is kind of a rare bass drum. It's a twenty six by fourteen three ply, um, which is, you know, the guy from Led Zeppelin played that size. <laughs> you didn't know. So I have a question about yeah. this this whole setup now. Huh? Are you seeing this still being popular, or is it starting to go out of favor now? Because big drums came back heavy in the early two thousands. Is it still cool, or is everyone um, going smaller again? 
I think anything that there's like a limited amount of, there will always be a desire for, mm. you know. Um, I've had this kit for sale for a while, which like I thought was a fairly reasonable price, even though it's kind of like a player's grade. But like if this were green, mm-hmm. mega money, because it's the bottom thing, uh, you know. Okay. Um, or even like really any other color. But, you know, it's, the edges are kind of flat on the front, and the spurs were enlarged. It's got some scratches and scuffs. But, I mean, I used to... Sorry, I used to be a big drum, like 26, 13, 16. Because yeah, yeah. that was my first, I think we taught my first kit was a black Vista Light in 26. So, I don't know, it, for me, I don't really play that size anymore, but I can like definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Seems so, like to answer of... your question, I think maybe a little bit it's gone down, but like, you know, they're still the hardest size to find. Yeah. People are starting to get into like the short drums now. 12 and 10, mm. all that. Is a fourteen? What were they mm-hmm. normally? Fourteen. Well, they were normally fourteens. Yeah, but like, at a fifteen, though, right? Wasn't his a custom? His was a fifteen. <laughs> so technically, this isn't a Bonham drum. Is this a thirteen? Yeah. So 20, 26, 13, 16. And these are all orphans mm. that we put together. But that you know, that's the nice thing too is like this wrap doesn't really fade either. Yeah, right. So it's easy to kind of like you know mix and match. And I think this they it was probably good for the everyday gigging because you could. You're not gonna scratch it up. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pr- fairly durable. I mean, there's, I mean there, there's some pretty big marks, but yeah. It but imagine you did that to a sparkle wrap. That's what You'd I see, mean. Like glitter everywhere. It looks cool. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So it's like a workman's drum, man. Like, sounds good. It's big. What's the deal with the spurs? I've heard sometimes they're installed backwards. Do you know how to tell? Uh, I've never seen that that okay. I can recall. These. So in the 70s, they had, I think they're five eights. Oh, I can't remember. The, the smaller diameter size. Oh, yeah. Like on the Vistalite. Yeah, and then they, they switched to like a half inch, which is what they use now. Um, so someone enlarged the holes to take the bigger spurs. But I also have had Vistalites that have had bigger mm. spurs. But they're fine. I mean, like, I don't think that they work any better than the, the smaller ones. But seems pretty stable. It's a cool kit. I kind of like this. That's this is what I would go for. I think I had one I was gigging with for a little bit back in you know 10, 15 years ago. Not that long. What am I saying? 10, 15 years ago. How but, old are you, Chris? I, I don't <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But it's neat. Yeah, you can kind of look, and it looks like it's just a matte finish. Yeah. But then when you get club close, it's. I like it. I wonder if they'll ever bring it back because I think it's. If you're listening, Ludwig. <laughs> they bring what they just bring back the um, uh, lemon lemon strata, which is super cool. We've never done one of those, have we? We've done standard kits, but not like a strata kit. I don't know if we did or not. Oh, okay, that's a cool one. So yeah, they'll they'll eventually work their way back up to this era. Why not? One of the, my like first early like finds was a lemon strata kit, and it, the whole thing had been wrapped over in black contact paper. Mm-hmm. And when I took it off, like the finish, it had like the, the glue residue, but it wasn't like glued glued, but the wrap was amazing because it was just, it had, hadn't faded. So we're on the topic of wrapping over things. <laughs> you can know. thank your, uh, your fr- Judas Priest listening uncles from the 19... 19- <laughs> Late 70s, early 80s. If you're ever out picking and you see a drum that's wrapped over in contact paper, that's not always bad because it can come off and there might be something good under there. Mm-hmm. Usually there's not, unfortunately. <laughs> but sometimes there is. So, yep, that's Ludwig Black cool. Panther. It's Very for cool. sale on our website. I think I actually have it. Actually, I think I have it on sale. All right, then. So if you're looking for a big kit, you know. It's a big one, but it's pretty sturdy and stable. You, so. Yep. Awesome. Ludwig Black Panther. All right, shout out to Chris Hawthorne for letting us come over to his shop and uh, check out his gear. I don't know if that kit's still available, but I know he has a lot of stuff coming in at all times. So go check out hawthornedrumshop.com. And um, yeah, we're going to get to our warehouse pick of the week and then get out of here. So this week's warehouse pick of the week, I'm actually using this stuff. So I've been beta testing, um, kind of R&D field testing this hardware that we got in. So this is the DHO. 1050 HS hi-hat stand. We are calling it the lightweight hi-hat stand. It's actually double braced. I should go to this camera here. You can't really see, of course. I'll drop in a, I'll drop in a photo. So this is the DHO 1050 
HS hi-hat stand. It's lightweight, but it does have double braced legs, so it's super sturdy. It doesn't slide around. I mean, I've been kicking this thing for months and it doesn't move, doesn't budge. Um, affordable, so if you're in the market for a cheap, reliable, gigging or home practice hi-hat stand, go check out the DHO1050HS. And it's complimentary stand, the DHO1050SS snare drum stand, also lightweight with double braced legs. Um, this one has been super sturdy as well. Kind of hard to beat. It's it's doesn't take up much space. It's easy to adjust. It's simple, and it's pretty cheap. So go check out the DFD lightweight hi hat stand and the lightweight snare drum stand. Those are model number 1050SS for the snare stand. 1050HS for the hi-hat. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating. Type in a review if you're on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our YouTube channel, Drum Factor Direct. We post the video form of all of our podcasts, plus a bunch of other stuff there. Uh, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook, and make sure you're following The Drum Click, which is our podcast network. And that's about it. So if you have any requests, shoot them over to drumcandypodcast.gmail.com. Until then, go tune some drums, go play some drums. See you next week.